Hello, my lovely parents. I just wanted to tell you about this special episode of the Teen and Tween Parenting Podcast. Here I did a lovely interview with Ray Tsai of the Asian Life Coach Collective. She is the host of that podcast and she does a beautiful job at really trying to unpack whatever the struggles are for the Asian community. And I tried to help her with the parenting component of it. And you might say, why me? Why am I on the Asian Life Coach Podcast Collective? It's because I had lived in Taiwan for two years. I speak Mandarin, and I really love to think about different communities and the way oppression hits them and how parenting gets harder and what I can do to help with it. All right, I'm queuing up the music. Today's topic is positive parenting your teens and preteens. Many parents believe parenting preteens and teenagers is the most challenging job. We struggle and are uncertain how to manage our feelings and handle situations. Nikki Neredin is a doctor, coach, mother, rock singer, and author. One of Nikki's specialties is helping parents to be free of worries and providing positive parenting so they can connect with their kids. Nikki has a lot to offer. Let's welcome her. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Ray. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm excited about this topic because we're talking about parenting, preteens and teenagers, and I know a lot of parents need this. <laughs> and you are an expert because you wrote books and you also coach a lot of parents. So before we begin, tell us about yourself. You told me that you went to Taiwan for two years. Yeah. You were studying Mandarin. Yeah. So after I graduated from college, I went to University of Michigan and I studied two years of Mandarin and I loved my teacher and she was from Taiwan. And I thought that I would continue Mandarin. I, I just was really good at it. I'm a, a singer and musical and just, you know, there's some kind of like, you know, destiny that I feel or you or something like that, you know, mm. with, um, you know, with Mandarin as a language and culturally as, you know, people who live in Taiwan or Chinese people. And so I was going to continue with the Mandarin, but the next language course that was offered was ancient Chinese literature. And I thought, there's no way that I'm going to start studying ancient Chinese literature. I was a microbiology <laughs> major and I just had to keep going through. And so I thought when I'm done with my studies, I'll head to Taiwan and I'll learn there and I'll head to the school that this particular professor had sent me to. And so that's what I did. After I graduated, I worked for summer, I made enough money. And then I traveled to Taiwan, enrolled in the Taiwan Normal University and their teaching college and learned Mandarin and mm -hmm. taught English and studied acupuncture. So that's oh, what wow. I did when I was there. Yeah. That's amazing. How did you like Taiwan? I love Taiwan. It was like a second home to me. It, the, the people, the food, I miss the food so much. <laughs> I was totally into Taiwanese street food. I was eating everything. And I think I have a stomach of steel because none of it bothered me. You know, oh, even wow. in a changed environment, even with different water, I was just 
ready and willing to eat anything. So I'm the food impressed. was great. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll eat anything as well. So, I mean, now I'm, I'm vegan. And so, you know, I'll eat anything that's, that's plant-based at the moment. But when I was living in Taiwan, I really, there, there was no food that I wasn't willing to try. Yeah. It's like so. a adventure. <laughs> yes, truly. Well, my kids and I actually traveled around China. We spent a month in China while I was homeschooling them. And my children who at the time were very young, they were like, six and eight were also extremely adventurous in terms of what they ate. And so we ate our way across China through nine cities. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So you sing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also play other instrument. I play the guitar. Wow. Yeah. So rock and roll girl. <laughs> I'm a rock and roll mama. So I had a new album out recently. And I always say this album has the five M's in it. It's music, oh medicine, motherhood, menopause, marriage, oh, you know, wow. just to speak to the people that I speak to, because a lot of rock and roll doesn't really have that particular mm. direction. That's amazing. And you are a doctor and you're also a life coach. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just wasn't enough <laughs> to keep going. Yeah, so I've been, you uh, live in New York and you travel back and forth to Alaska. I actually work in Alaska. So I have a job in a remote city in Alaska, Northwest Alaska and a small fishing village. And so I see most of my patients there and I spend four weeks working and then I go back to New York and then I spend the four weeks working on my business related to helping parents think about their children and their relationships. It sounded like you're a busy lady. <laughs> you know, busy and not busy. I, mm -hmm. I feel like busy is a bit of a frame of mind yes, because yeah. when I come to Alaska and I'm working, I am working, but I'm also really quiet. I stay in, I don't go out very much. Yeah. And when I'm in New York, it's so cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so true. It's like a sheet of ice out here. It's really wild, right? Wow. I don't think I can live in Alaska and survive because I came from Taiwan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how you shift whatever you need to do. Like right now I know how to dress. So mm. I could have the same weather in New York and I would never be able to survive. But the weather I have now in Alaska is doable just because wow. I know how to do it differently. Yeah. I think it's the adaptation, right? Mm -hmm. We adapt. Yeah. yeah. So always. why did you become a life coach? I, I'm always on the path to discovery for myself, mm -hmm. as well as ways in which I could make the lives of my patients and the people around me go well. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe that if everybody's life goes well, then my life goes well and vice versa. And if their life isn't going well, then my life is definitely not going as well as it could. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's a bad life. It means that I can continue. So I had done lots of self-improvement methods and techniques. I did something called co-counseling, which I still do for 20 years done tons of therapy. And I realized that life coaching actually points people to their future possibilities. And it works really fast, especially the life coaching that I'm involved in, mm -hmm. because I really get to the heart of something fairly quickly and move it forward. And I didn't see anything else that worked quite like that. So right now I'm seeing patients in Alaska and I, I would say that I probably coach them at least half the sessions if not more. Wow. And it makes the hugest difference. 
What kind of difference do you see from your patient when you include coaching in the session? First of all, I don't think that people generally will include coaching because when they come to me, they're expecting that I'm going to fix a problem for them. And the way I'm going to fix it is with something external. But often when they see me, they have tried and tried and tried these external things to fix whatever problems they've come to see me. And it's been very disappointing. And so they find themselves really disappointed with the system. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I empower them to actually figure out what portions of their life they can control themselves. Mm -hmm. And that gives them a great deal of independence and power. And especially because most of the people I work with are from more marginalized populations that have suffered tremendous oppression they have been so disempowered and expect somehow that there is something external that will try to help their situation, but have been very disappointed up to that point. So I do give them the ability to know that they have control of least, at least one thing, and that's their mind. That is so good. They are very lucky to have you. Mm. I feel lucky more. to have them. Mm. I get to refine this and figure out new methods and theories and you know, work harder to to try to make it happen faster and better and, and last longer. Yeah. We need more <laughs> doctors like you. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm working on it. So what is your favorite coaching tool that you use? You know, I, I've been trained with the life coach school like you have, and I love that self-coaching model, mm. but the thing I love about it the most is actually separating the thought from the circumstance because people truly believe that everything they think is the absolute truth about what is happening in their lives. And once you can wiggle out of that belief, even the slightest bit, then you have opened the door to the candy store. You can grab anything you want. And that is completely exciting for me. Yeah. I know. I get very excited. Yeah. A lot of times what we believe, even their stories we're telling ourselves, we believe they are true. They are facts mm-hmm. and everyone would agree. But actually after we zoom in and focus and, you know, look close, they actually are not true. Mm-hmm. But if, if we don't question them, then we believe they, they are fact. Yeah. I, and it's, it's very, in some ways, dangerous to not believe. Because once you start questioning, then you have to question almost everything around you. You know, the people who kind of install the thoughts there, the society that you've lived in, the ones that you've chosen to be with. So you're going to have to start questioning whether this belief is something that is real or not real, whether you want to keep it or not, whether you want the people around it to be with you or not. So you might have to shift some things that feel scary. And you probably have spoken about the motivational triad on your Mm -hmm. podcast before, but everything in us wants to stay as peaceful, calm, away from pain, without exerting much energy as possible. Yeah, without suffering, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. we want, we all want to have fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is true. Since you are a family doctor, and your niche is parenting, right? Yeah, it, it's actually even a little more than that. It is parenting on worry specifically, mm. so that people can have a big fun and joyous life and actually keep their family safer. 
Mm. So I wrote a book not long ago called Shut Up and Act Dumb. And that's a parent's guide to staying close and connected to your teen and tween. Um, and the idea is that our parental worry ends up being something that our children feel like they have to take care of. And so they won't share things with us. And then they'll go out and figure out how to take care of whatever is going on with them elsewhere, because we can't really stay and listen because our worry becomes so overwhelming and worry can look many ways. You know, worry can be kind of a, like a, a chronic consistent thing that we're worrying about specifically, or it could come in as criticism, you know, just because we're worried about something. And so we feel like we need to change it in order to help our worry, but our kids will normally go out, take care of whatever is bothering them someplace else so that they don't have to manage your feelings around their worry, you know, mm -hmm. either in the form of being with people that you don't necessarily know and trust, you know, or, behaviors that are making them feel better so that they don't have to think about things or they'll go very inward or they might get very anxious. So mm -hmm. in essence, our worry makes our family unsafe. And we somehow believe that the worry is actually creating safety, but the safety is a myth. So I help parents to not worry. And that comes from a place where I was so worried about certain things, especially related to my daughter and her friend group and whether she had them or not. You know, I remember her walking into school and she went to go sit by somebody and all of those people picked up and moved. And I was so heartbroken and it became almost like my life relived over again, but it wasn't my life anymore. And mm. so I just kept talking about like, so what's going on with this friend? And I was talking about it constantly until finally she was just like, you need to stop. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you can't keep bringing this up. It makes me feel like there's something wrong with me. Like I can't figure this out and you have yeah. to somehow like make it better. And mm -hmm. that's when my daughter started, you know, kind of removing herself from talking to me as much as she did before, mm -hmm. you know, and she also was a person who was cutting quite a bit, you know, just to allow herself to feel something. And I really Realized, oh, I, I need to somehow really gain control of my worry and really look at the stuff that was happening to me. So that's where, you know, I came up with the book idea, you know, shut up and act dumb. I've been kind of working on this for a long time and thinking about this for a long time, you know, but it, it's the worry and then having to manage our feelings related to it. I think that keeps people unsafe and it makes our lives small. It's almost like a small addiction or a big addiction where we are constantly focusing on it. And so all our attention ends up there and our attention can't end up in places where we're having a lot of fun or we're having a big joyous life or we're being curious and knowing what's going on with other people. You know, if yeah. we take on somebody else's emotions as our own, then we actually never get to really see what's going on. Yeah, it's true. When we worry, we actually not being present, mm. right? With the, yeah. you know, whatever is going on right now, mm. we worry ahead of time, yeah. but most of worries, they won't happen, right? Right. And even if there's a possibility, we mm -hmm. have no control over when, how, and where. Yes. So yeah. we, you're right. We worry ahead of time for things mm -hmm. that won't necessarily happen. Mm -hmm. So yeah. your book, you say, shut up and act dumb. Yeah. 
how how do you tell parents like what what suggestion do you have the parents can act dumb <laughs> yeah well, it's an interesting thing I, i i don't really mean to act dumb as in stupid because clearly we have lots of experience mm-hmm. and we, we have a lot of have- wisdom Exactly. And more experience than a young person has just in terms of life. What the acting dumb is, is to not assume that you know what is best at every moment Mm. for what's going on with your child, that you don't assume that you know how they're feeling, that you don't assume that you could make that all better. Mm. So that's really what the acting dumb is. And the shut up is just to stay quiet. I, I did a little experiment. So, you know, my daughter was in junior high and I wanted to be the house that she would bring all her friends to, because I like to know what's going on. And I do like a little bit of control. We live in New York city. So I didn't want her traipsing around the city to other people. I don't know other parents. So I wanted to somehow be the family that they come to. And Mm -hmm. so at first I did everything I could to kind of get them there. I cleaned up the house. I organized everything. I made tons of food and they all came over. So I would have between eight and 10 children at my house every weekend or teenagers at my house every weekend. And they'd come out (laughs) and they'd eat because I really like kind of worked on the fact that I didn't mind that they were there, that they could sleep wherever they want. Like it was really something that I was just allowing to happen, but they would all end up in her room. And I was like, well, how do I keep them out? And I realized when I didn't say anything, when I didn't give them some idea about what they should be doing, when I didn't criticize what was going on, when I didn't butt in and I just stayed like a fly on the wall and said nothing, they would stay out and they would continue to stay out. They would barely even know I was there. And then I could hear everything that was going on. I knew what was going on. And then after a while, they knew that I wasn't just going to give my you know, unsolicited opinion. And so then they started asking me for my opinion on certain things. And again, I would give it, but as limited as possible. And I would try to think what they were feeling and what they thought was best. And they always came to the answer. So it's so interesting. Your title says, shut up and act dumb. Actually, it's being wise and being smart. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Well, my next book is shut up and have fun. Because mm-hmm. I think that through fun creates the kind of clarity, openness, and relationship that you need to really move things forward. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it is That's so good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, especially for Asian parents, mm. <laughs> we are too serious. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we think like you got to teach your children because they need to learn everything. And they, if they make mistakes, we want to make sure we correct them. Mm. So we make mistakes, like consider mistake like a big deal. Interesting. Yeah, mistakes mm. are just like lesson, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just like kids uh, started to walk or started to ride their bikes, they fell. They fall all the time. By falling, they learn how to ride, how to walk. Yeah. I actually heard that unless you fall and pull yourself up, you don't have the leg strength to actually walk. True. I agree. Yeah. You know, I think about Asian moms and just because I've known so many Taiwanese moms, there's something about where their families had felt like they had to really tell them 
what needed to happen or something could go really wrong. Mm. And it might come in a little bit harshly at times because that's the way it came in for you moms as children. And so I think that we internalize this idea that we must prepare them for the harsh world. And the only way to prepare for the harsh world is to continue the harshness that has actually come into us. Mm. But I believe it's actually the opposite. Mm. I believe that you actually have to create the safe, compassionate, empathetic and curious world so that they can go out and really deal with the harshness of the world outside and that they know that there's a safe place to come back to where Mm. they can work on all of those feelings of, you know, where the oppression happens for all different groups, but, you know, a specific kind for Asian parents. I think that's a key um, right there. You know, instead of being harsh, push away our children. They are not connecting with us and they seek for like false pleasure. They buffer with video games or with whatever. And if we are being curious and have compassion, being a role model, how we communicate, it actually helps them to communicate what they have in their head. Yeah. I remember you telling me something related to you and your daughter like that. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you talked about it on the podcast or not, but we did. We talk about really, truly listen Mm. and not assume. So you mentioned that too. We did. We learned from the hard way. Mm. That's the reason I want to share our experience because a lot of Asian moms, sometimes we just correct. We think correction pointing out what's wrong will serve them good, but actually sometimes the opposite. Because when we are being harsh, we already close the door to communicate with them. We are disconnected. Yeah, that's a really great point. So what else do you want to share with us about parenting with teens? I think we've covered such a good portion of it, but Mm -hmm. I think that the one thing that I do hope for people is that they manage their own feelings around what's going on with their teenagers Mm -hmm. and that their teenager's life is not a recreation of their own life. Mm -hmm. And so I always say that the quickest way to your hard early childhood is to have children because it will bring up lots of feelings for you. Mm-hmm. But they aren't your feelings and it isn't your life. Mm-hmm. And you get to be the curious observer of what they need and what their life is. Mm-hmm. And it does have to come from a deep place of believing that things are okay. You yeah. know, that ultimately things are okay. Because I know when my mother was raising me, she honestly felt like she wasn't parenting me unless she was correcting or criticizing or saying something. Mm. And we can really parent just by staying close, connected, curious, have a lot of fun. I think that that is probably the better way that we're going to stay close enough to our teenagers that, you know, they're going to be launching soon. eventually they're going to be gone. So you don't have a tremendous amount of time, but you want to be able to launch out young people that are going to be able to 
independently take care of themselves and be resilient and bounce back and be able to think about a world that's struggling. Yeah. And that's what we eventually want. Yeah, I joined a Facebook group. It's called Subtle Asian Mental Network. It was shocking because a lot of Asian adults and they still suffer from how their parents treat them. And it's very sad. Why do we push our children away even we love them so much? Right. And why do we need to be so serious all the time and only think about, oh, they need to get straight A's. They need to join, uh, attend all the activities because parents are afraid that their kids are not going to be able to survive. So it's kind of like worry, right? Definitely. Yeah. I think you make a good point, you know, that in order for us to act that way with these children that we love so much that we've wanted is that we have to truly believe that their survival is at risk, that Mm -hmm. somehow they won't make it. Yeah. When we (laughs) worry, right. When we worry about our children, it's like a curse. Yeah. We don't trust that they will survive unless we prepare them. Yeah. Like with all the judgment, with all the corrections. Yeah and not allow them make mistakes. But we do give them the message that they're not capable. So that is the other message that comes out, that our worry makes them believe that the world is a dangerous place and that they are not capable of handling it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's really important that we want to let our kids know that they are totally capable. Mm. They are resourceful. They have all the answers if they just look inward, right? But we we are always there if they need our support Mm -hmm. so they can be independent. They are not always counting on us. Yeah. Yeah. There might be also a little bit of, we feel like somehow if we're too kind or too good, and something happens that's wrong, we will be so heartbroken and so hurt. It's almost like we don't want to be too close, too loving. I, there's something about that. In I, I'm Jewish, and there's a saying, a Yiddish saying about a kanina hura, which is like the evil eye. You don't want to be too kind because you don't want the evil eye to focus and take away the thing that you love the most. So you Mm. almost can't treat it particularly nicely. Mm. That's so interesting. Mm. Yeah. There's so many beliefs that we have Mm. and it all bring now, it all come out when we raise children. Yeah. That's yeah, the you... reason we have so many conflicts, mm. like just parenting, husband, like a mom and dad yeah. all had different perspectives. Right. And then boys and girls, how we treat them and different stages, different mm. issues yeah. and how we see the issues. Yeah. It's very interesting. You talk about your second book. It's shut up and have fun. What do you suggest? Like, Like how to have fun. I mean, there's a lot of suggestions in this book in terms of things that we do. And we're talking about that model again on the action line. 
mm-hmm. you know, but the idea is to not take things so seriously. Mm. The idea is to follow your young person's lead and get tickled by it <laughs> and almost just enjoy looking at their mind and where their mind goes mm. and enjoy whatever is going on in your mind and where you could find relaxing, light, fun portions of your moments and your day. Mm. And I think that that's probably the beginning. And then I say, I do everything to try to have as much fun as possible. I'm just kind of silly. You know, sometimes my kids think I'm stupid, you know, and I know (laughs) I'm not stupid. I went to medical school. Not that that makes me smart, you know, but, but that I don't have to know everything. And so I'm always like, wow, that's the way it works. Oh my God. I didn't even know, you know, and, (laughs) and I just want to know how it works in their brains, you know? So I just get fascinated with watching how their minds work because actually you don't have to do much to have fun. You start it when they're young, they'll Mm. be playing a game and all they're going to want you to do is follow them around while they do it. And that's going to be how they learn. And Mm. you just continue to follow and figure out funner ways to do things as they go along. Mm -hmm. So the first chapter is really about playing cards because cards is one of those easy things that you can bring around everywhere. The Mm -hmm. first game is 52 pickup, just throw the cards on the floor. Don't take them seriously. (laughs) And everybody goes and picks them up for the very young ones. And Mm -hmm. then of course you have lots of games going through. Mm -hmm. So there are just so many ways, but, but just use your mind. Like anything can become a game anything could be silly. You know, my family um, played this game called tickle feet because my husband's feet are so ticklish and they (laughs) used to try to get his socks off so they could tickle his feet. And he was really good at placing them from him to the bed, putting them on top of each other. Like he would do anything. Eventually 15 or 20 minutes later, his socks would be off and he would be laughing hysterically. That was like a 20 minute game, you know? Oh, that is adorable. Yeah, it was really, really very sweet. But, you know, I I do something called special time with the kids, which means Mm. that, you know, I give them a very specific amount of time because often, you know, through the day in and day out of life, it's really hard to pay attention and truly follow their lead. And so what I'll do is I'll commit a certain amount of time and I'll even put a timer on if they're willing, and then I'll do whatever they want to do. So I'll follow them. I'll play a video game that is so boring to me. (laughs) I'll watch them cook something that I know they're not doing the way they should do it. And I will just look delighted and I'll see how their mind works. And once you do that without correcting, without criticism, you know, you keep them as safe as you need to, but it actually, there's a tiny bit of mess that goes on and a tiny bit of danger in a way, you know, and you know what the level is, Mm -hmm. they will trust you enough to know that they can show you their big feelings and big feelings will come out. Mm. And it's only through play that you actually have those big feelings come out. That is so great, mm. right? The trust. Yeah. Right. When you trust your kids, then you can relax. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're going to have fun mm-hmm. because then you can be curious and think outside of box. Yeah. And come up all kinds of ideas and then just have fun with your yeah. kids. And being like being mindful, being like paying attention and just listening. 
yeah. with curiosity, without judgment. Too much That's judgment. It's almost like a demon. The judge is the worst demon. Yeah, the one that judges you, the people around you, and your circumstances. Totally. There is no manual about how it should be. The mm. manual was installed. Yeah. And I think it's really true that we, being parents, we mm. need to be able to manage our mind,、mm. and that's where the models, right, is so useful because we can be the watcher of our mind when we pay attention. What's the cause and effect? In Chinese Mandarin, we say "xin nian,"、mm. right? Your mind is the seed.、Mm-hmm. Your mind is the source of your actions. It's、mm. the the source of your feeling, and then you create the results. So actually, if we are being a watcher, we see what's going on because oh, maybe. I was not feeling safe when I was younger, and now I worry so much about my kids. There's something. There's some connection. So when we can figure out what our problem is, we solve our problems. We are free of all the worries. Then we can have fun with our kids. Yeah, exactly.、Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to share with our audience? Yeah, that、uh, that I have complete faith, and I know that they're going to be able to do this、mm-hmm. and turn those relationships around. Yeah, they just、and、need that, to trust themselves. Yeah, and that it's going to go well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah It'll get、definitely. better and better when we realize what's what could be better. Yeah. Right. I think and- the other thing is that we have to realize that even an attempt. To change something is already so different than what happened for us, and、yeah. what's happened for your children up to that point.、Mm. And so, even the smallest move in that direction will be noticed almost immediately,、mm. and it will make all the difference in the world. I agree. Yeah, this is so good, Nikki. This、yeah. is like amazing. So, where can our audience find you? So, I,、um, you could always go and get my book, "Shut Up and Act Dumb," and that's on Amazon right now.、Mm-hmm. And then I also host the Teen and Tween Parenting Podcast with Dr. Nikki Naradin.、Oh, and right、wow. now, I have a six step to stop worrying boot camp. Where you will learn all of my six steps, which has some of the model in it, but so much more in trying to stop worrying. And then with that, for ten people, I've got a three month coaching program. I I only am able to take care of ten people right now, just because I'm back and forth with Alaska. But the three months will really cement. The six step stop worrying program,、mm. and then once you've got that as the dominant thought going on, you'll be able to move everything forward. And that、mm. you'll be able to find at drnikkinaridan dot com, and that's、mm. drnikkinaridan dot com. Super, yeah, this is so good. Thank you so much, Nikki. Yeah, you need to come back again. <laughs> I would love to. I love this conversation. I love thinking about your community. And I like thinking about parents and and kids. Yeah,、so. this is a、yeah. perfect topic for a lot of parents. Yeah. So thank yeah. you, thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it helpful. Please subscribe, download, and or share it with your family and friends. We'd love to hear from you. Your reviews and comments will be greatly appreciated. You can also book a free 30-minute coaching session with Ray on her website at raytsaicoaching.com. That's R-A-E-T-S-A-I-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. See you next time.